If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? It is summer, and what better to do with summertime than focus on getting in shape and getting your health in check. Best way to do that is with Angie Niska at Rise Nutrition, who sponsors all of these wonderful Jesus Never Ran podcasts. You can find her on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That is Rise with a Z. Have been getting some great feedback from all of you on the roundtable discussions. A couple of months ago, we talked about toxic masculinity. We talked about the prison system. This month, one of my favorite things to talk about, which is God and nature and how we are all intertwined. Two incredible people are joining the conversation today. Well, welcome everybody to the Jesus Never Ran podcast. Today, we get to do one of my favorite things, which is have a roundtable discussion. And just so you know how this works, I invite a couple of my friends in a room or on a Zoom call, and we just pick a topic and we drop it in the center of the room and we see what happens. And today, I've invited, I would call you guys two of the people that from a spiritual direction standpoint, let's call it, two of the people I respect and look up to more than anybody else. And if I'm honest with myself, I get a, a little bit nervous, like I'm the little guy in the room, just because of the, <laughs> the vast amounts of knowledge you bring to the table here. And <laughs> see what I do, Scott, is I just build you up a little bit. So yeah. I'm feeling confident about what you're going to say. <laughs> so what we're going to yeah. do today is we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to all three of our hearts. So I have Scott Jenkins. He is the founder and director of Celtic Way out in Colorado, out by Denver, Colorado. And we have Diane Bryant, who is one of my hometown people. And she is a, I don't want to call it a spiritual director because I know you're kind of steering away from that title, Diane, but what would you call yourself? Maybe more of a, just a soul friend. Perfect. So we have Diane Bryant and Scott Jenkins with us today and talking about something really near and dear to my heart, which is how nature and creation connects with us spiritually. Mm -hmm. And for me, although I grew up Catholic. The moment of my life where spirituality, faith, God made any sense to me was the time when I would, I can, I can picture it to this day. I'm 44 years old. This probably happened when I was seven, eight years old. And I can remember exactly where I sat on the 17 acres I grew up on. And I remember having the literal thought of, is there a God? 
looking around me, seeing all of creation, seeing the sky up above was the the part that I really remember the most. And then just kind of looking back and forth and deciding for myself, yes, there's no way I could be surrounded by all of this and not believe in a creator in some sort of divinity. And that in so many ways was the beginning of my faith walk. And still to this day is such a dynamic part of the way I experience God. So why don't we just start by not necessarily giving me your whole faith background, but specifically how nature and God connect in the center of your lives. So Scott, why don't you kick us off? I would say that in the beginning, nature, I was taught, was some beautiful, was not necessarily an integral part of us, or we part of that. And uh, it might tell you a little bit about God, but not a whole lot. Because you couldn't trust your lived experience, of course, and you couldn't really get an accurate revelation from nature, right? So you had to turn to the book to get some kind of specific revelation, and then it had to be interpreted by somebody who, I guess, had been trained and had been in a place of authority. So as much as I enjoyed being around nature, it didn't have a real spiritual component for me for a whole bunch of my life. Probably that awakening happened at the Franciscan School of Theology in Berkeley very slowly through my teachers there and through the whole Franciscan milieu that was present. And then for years after that, it didn't really grow until I went to hear some speakers who talked about Celtic Christianity. And all of a sudden, the the switch inside of me flipped, right? What I knew intuitively people were pointing to in the history of the church and certain thinkers and and uh, theologians and stuff and wonderful saints who came from the United Kingdom. And I just started delving into it. And then there was this connection, like it was for you as a young boy, Matt, there was this connection for me from within. Inside of me resonated what I knew to be true, probably from the time of growing up as a little boy in Iowa, that so many people told me wasn't true. And then I just finally flipped out and went, this is it. This is so true. And then my experience and trust into that just grew from there. Wonderful. How about you, Diane? You know, I, I too started my life as a Catholic, but I was a farm girl. Combining my Catholic upbringing and that the nature off the farm, I always kind of lived in that mystical little bit of a world, very much so. You know, reading the lives of the saints and wanting to be just like them and recognizing, you know, how St. Francis interacted with nature. And I just longed and yearned for that so, so very much. And it really influenced how I saw my world from all the aspects of the farm, um, from life on the farm to just the moments I would take my little notebook out and sit under an oak tree in the back 40 and just think about this God. But I only knew the God from the father perspective and then just in connecting that with nature. And as I went along then in my growth, my inside growth, my inner growth with my outer, as you said, Scott, beginning to explore beyond the Catholic upbringing that had some of that peace woven in, looking more at the mystics then and growing into that aspect. And then moving into Celtic spirituality, the same way of recognizing how nature is a reflection of the creator one, the one who has infused himself into all that has been made and how we can recognize that and then take the wonder of that and begin to explore that 
in beautiful ways. And that's been the ongoing journey then of my life and desiring and wanting ever more of that sense of being in one with this creator through what he has made and all that he has made. Yes. There was a time, Diane, not too long ago, because you do some spiritual direction for an organization that I work with called Fierce Freedom. Mm -hmm. And you were leading us through something. What sparked my memory is you talked about sitting under an oak tree on your back 40 growing up. And I remember in one of our meetings, Mm -hmm. you said that you actually connect most, if you were to pick something in nature that you connect most to, I believe you said it was a a tree and you explained why that was. And I thought that was so interesting and fascinating. And I had it on the back of my mind for the remainder of that week. And then I was on a a bicycle ride right along the, the river here in town, the Chippewa River. And I just stopped and I was thinking about you and thinking about how you connect to trees. And then as I was looking at the river, it dawned on me that the thing that I most connect with in life nature-wise is, is a river. And then I took that one step farther. I'm an Enneagram 7 for those of you who are listening who knows what that means. It means that the next idea is always the best idea. And the river, the constant movement of the river is something that's actually very peaceful for me. And as soon as it stops, I get a little bit anxious. I just love yes. that, that concept that you brought in. So explain a little bit to the listeners what it is that you connected with, with the trees that you talked about. Yeah. Your trees have always been an evidence to me of obviously strength, permanence, and durability, being able to flex and flow with the elements around them. That trees have a means of growing upward as well as downward, establishing really deep roots as well as, as, as reaching upward to offer what they are to everything around them. And then the infinite differences in trees, whether they're denuded of leaves and you look at their bark or look what's under their bark, um, there's, there's um, so much to wonder about in trees that bring you to a, a sense of awe, the differences, the likenesses, the beauty, the beauty that's not beauty as we have to think that things have to look perfect, but the beauty that is so unique each one of those marvelous trees. And so I'm a tree hugger. I, you know, hate to see anything happen to a tree. They're just beautiful in all of their form and shapes and offer us so much of what reflects the wonder of who God is. I love that you're an unashamed tree hugger. And unfortunately, in a lot of conservative Christian spaces, tree huggers aren't looked all that kindly on, which I think is just a, a, a sad state of affairs in, in some way. Scott, I know that when we've had conversations before, one of the things about nature that that is so dynamic to you is the fact that we're just a part of it. And again, the toxic side of humanity is the side that believes that we lord over nature or we have to control it somehow. But when you talk about it, it's this beautiful thing of us being just a part of the greater whole that involves humanity, but it also involves all of nature. For sure. You know, I think I started out at a place where I did treat nature with respect. Um, We always had a garden in our backyard, and my German grandmother taught me to respect nature, not to abuse it. But eventually, you know, I, I believe that in some way, and there are a lot of words for this, that God's presence lives in nature, sustains, if we could metaphorically describe this, sustains the world, the cosmos that we live in. 
And then one day, or maybe it was one evening when teaching a class, and I talked about praying with the different seasons that we go through. And I began to see an experience for myself first that these seasons and all our surroundings and the evolution they go through and the change of the seasons they go through, that they are given to us as companions on the journey. Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized that, you know, we're companions to each other on this journey. We are just life forms that are sharing the life of this planet together, moving forward in some slow evolutionary dynamic. And certainly we can see the ebb and the flow of the influence back and forth on one another. And the day will come, you know, when we really do believe and we really can see that nature is sacred. And when she is treated as sacred, and as a companion, then our lives will change from within and they will be shown to change from without because our whole relationship will foster so many life-giving changes. It will come. And somehow, I guess it's going to have to merge with this incredible technology that's taking place all around us and and above our planet as well, you know. And so I think it's just time for us to renew some kind of intimate connection with the natural world and to walk into it gingerly. Yes. If anybody wants to know more about Scott's work with praying with the seasons, you can go to the Celtic Way website, CelticWay.org. And also Scott and I on the Celtic Way podcast are working through that right now. I think Today, actually earlier today, we just recorded spring and winter's yeah. already up. So if you want to know more about that, make sure you check out the Celtic Way podcast. Diane, you and I both have had some experience in kind of the evangelical conservative world, I guess. And one of my frustrations with that space is that I always felt like there was this feeling of we as American human beings are the ones that are most important and the way that we treat People and nature and anything else seemed, I always felt a little bit secondary. And I don't know why that is. Did you feel some of those same feelings when you were in those spaces at all? Almost this this selfish Mm -hmm. form of Christianity that put everything else, including nature, very much second? Yes, yes, absolutely. More of an exclusive sense of, well, this is how it is. But how do we infuse that into our day-to-day? And for me, that was the piece that I missed in the evangelical world of bringing the outer to the inner in a way that began to change us much more deeply um, to where we began to really sense our oneness in all things that were made with the Creator. And I, I think that's a slow awakening that's coming, perhaps, Matt, to even the evangelical world in very slow bits and pieces, perhaps, that we see things on a, in a much more expansive perspective of this wonder of the creator and how that's infused with all of us. You know, sometimes the conversations of things like global warming will come up and there's certainly a camp of people who wants to believe that to be a conspiracy theory of some sort. And I found that when I've been in those conversations, instead of trying to talk somebody in or out of believing in global warming, simply shift the conversation to, to say, don't we believe no matter what, that God would want us to take care of this beauty that he's put around us. So you can believe in global warming or not believe in global warming, but as people who are God lovers, 
we should take care of that, which he has given us to steward. That word stewardship, from my perspective, again, sometimes we really narrowed that definition down to stewardship so that it's useful for me versus stewardship for the good, for the good of others and for the good of what has been created, stewarding it so it flourishes and thrives, not for my personal benefit. So can I be a partner in what has been made in a way that I help the journey of thriving and flourishing no matter what it is. And the beautiful thing about that thought too, Diane, is if we do it out of a selfless spirit and we take care of people and nature and everything around us, there is a natural overflow that comes from that, that at the end does bless us and does Mm -hmm. help us because when, you know, when pieces of nature are not working the way they're supposed to, it certainly affects all of us. Mm -hmm. And when things are working in harmony, then we're all in harmony with it, which is a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. Scott, one of the things that connected me to you right from the beginning, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but the first time we talked, you told me about a walk that you take around your house. And I believe you told me that you've been taking this walk for decades and you were Mm -hmm. telling me about it. And as you were talking about this walk that you've taken for decades of your life, you started getting emotional, talking Mm -hmm. to a complete stranger at the time about something that you do almost every single day. And I knew that when you were that deeply and richly connected to the creation around you, I knew that, that I had to be connected to you. I have to tell you, all through my life, people have wanted to introduce me to the contemplative life, the mystical tradition. And I was like, and I just don't have time for this stuff. I'm just not going to sit still and do nothing. I have too much to do. And then I got an invitation and an offer for a full scholarship to go to the living school um, with Richard Rohr and Cynthia Borjo and James Finley. And so I, I went and my colleagues from Mile High Ministry and we went and I made a commitment that I was going to do whatever it was they asked me to do because I got this scholarship. You know, I was indebted in a healthy way to these folks. And then they said, well, the first thing and the most important thing is you'll start out with 10 minutes of silence every day and i was like are you kidding me you know really (laughs) so you know uh, you do it at the school with a room of 500 people and then sometimes for a half an hour well you do it because you don't want anybody looking at you like you should be doing it and you're not doing it you know (laughs) so but when i got home there's a whole another matter so i created this little space up here okay this is my contemplation time i have a timer thank god set it for 10 minutes you know when i first started it was like okay is it up yet is it up yet oh five minutes okay five more minutes you know it was just pure drudgery it was, I hated it. And then I would walk, I'd go for my walk. And I don't know how many weeks went by this contemplative experience. But one day I woke up and I said, oh, I can't wait to do this. I was really looking forward to doing this. I couldn't, I didn't want to live another day without it. It was wonderful. And then I would keep going for walks and I'd keep doing the contemplative experience. And one day I'm walking and I'm realizing that I'm seeing in what a lot of ancient people called the Celtic way of seeing. I mean, you do see the leaves and the trees and the squirrels and the butterflies and all. You see all this. But then you behold things at a much deeper level. And you have this emotional experience and you feel what's real is the interwovenness, the interconnection, and that we are gifted and privileged to be part of this world. And it helped me write a blessing Something like, we have come from heaven, we have come from the earth, we reflect heaven, we reflect the earth, 
we shall return to heaven and we shall return to the earth. You know, when you've entered into this space, when you become a mystical kind of person, you can't see the world again mm -hmm. the way you did before. Mm -hmm. And you just are kind of present to the mm -hmm. presence that is there being present to you. That's beautiful. Yes. Diane, you're, you're always encouraging us to, to develop spiritual practices and, and you never put it on us like there's a certain thing we should do. You just very much create this palette for us to explore, which is what mm -hmm. I, I love about the work that you do that I've been able to be a part of. So what are the things that you do in your personal journey that help connect you with your surroundings? You know, that that whole idea of contemplation, it, it does make people a little a bit edgy, but it, it just begins with where you're at and, and contemplation, you know, Scott, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, taking that walk and, and, you know, being American or our Western culture doers, when you stop to say, well, what, what does being invoke? What does that mean being? And, and it can, it can begin with that, which just brings you a moment of quietness, of solitude, of joy or delight just because it's something you love doing, like taking that walk. But as you were talking, Scott, I was thinking about that. And what happened in your process was exactly that is, first of all, we become attentive to what is around us. It has to start with attention. Attention to, gosh, I walked the same old path day after day, nothing has changed. But one day you walked that path and you became aware in a way that you hadn't been aware before. And then in that awareness, our soul begins to become alive to, to wonder. And to me, wonder is that key of it, Matt. Wonder of what is this really all about? And that wonder then leads to imagination. And that gift that we have of imagination to explore what is around us in a new and wonderful way. And, and that begins that journey of contemplation in a beautiful way. Because without awareness, without wonder, and then imagination, the Celtic writer John O'Donohue talks about imagination all the time, the gift that it is to help us to begin to ask those bigger questions, the things that we long for, the things that our heart yearns for. So taking a moment to do something that really brings you, whether it's staring for three minutes into your backyard and watching the blue jay, it doesn't matter, but then you move it towards how am I attentive to this? And then what awareness is coming? And then what wonder does this bring me to? And then how can I, with my imagination, join all that is around this and the source of the one who has created it? The truth is that when we slow down and we're more attentive and we're more aware, it's just better. It just mm -hmm. is, but we don't live in that, that world. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite stories biblically regarding this, there's this time when one of his disciples stops Jesus and asks him to look back at all the buildings in Jerusalem as if they're mm -hmm. something spectacular to look at, which I'm sure they were. And he dismisses them simply saying that all that's going to fall soon anyway, and just keeps walking away from the buildings. And sometimes I feel like that's a little bit of my faith journey in the last decade is walking away from the buildings and toward the vast creative space that God has given us. Is there any specific space biblically that either of you connect with that really connects you to nature as well? 
Well, there is a lot of them for me, but I think my favorite that I love to do is Ecclesiastes 3. And even though that is uh, about seasons of doing and not doing and so on, you know, for everything, there's a time and matter for under heaven and, and all that stuff. It's just something that I do every year with a group of people. Uh, and then we tie it into rewriting it in terms of the four seasons and what's what's either pregnant or being born or brought about in these seasons. And, and then I have people write stanzas for each season, and then we weave them together. That's kind of something something I like to do. And, and, and in Genesis 2, where it talks about, let us create humanity in our image, you know. And I even like when Jesus says, consider. You know, that's a, it's a powerful word in Greek. Consider the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Yeah, just even considering all of the images of, of nature that are used in Scripture. One that I go back to, Matt, that has been so incredibly kind of a, a center point for me. Well, there's two of them. One is Psalm 18. And specifically, you know, Psalm 18 walks you through when we're caught in a miry mess and we're asking the God who has made us to rescue me from that mess. And it, it, talk, it uses so many of the very earthy images of the thunder and he rides on the darkness and the clouds and reaches and he reaches down, he hears my plea. And then it says, he reaches down and rescues me in a way and he leads me to a spacious place, spacious place. And I so love that image of that spacious place where God leads me and he meets me and he greets me, and he loves me, and he shows me the wonders of his spaciousness. And, and of course, then Psalm 1 of that tree planted by those streams of living water, those beautiful images of nature, of, of how God shows himself in and through all of those. Those are a couple of mine. We've talked a little bit about the negativity of our American culture and our ability to uh, experience nature and slow down enough to do it. But one thing I know about the two of you is that you have a deep respect and love for the Celtic tradition, which very much so envelops all of this idea of oneness with nature. So much so that, Scott, you founded an organization called the Celtic Way. But I know, mm -hmm. Diane, too, you're always quoting the wonderful Celtic fathers and mothers. And speak mm -hmm. a little bit, if you don't mind, both of you, to how that culture mm -hmm. is so much different than what we're used to and some of the beauty that we find there. Mm -hmm. And P.S., my Catholic priest growing up was from Ireland. He had such a thick accent, <laughs> I could hardly understand him. <laughs> So I, I did get a sabbatical and I, I had a travel agent map out every day and everything I was doing. And then I got over there and I just felt moved to cancel all that stuff. Mm. And so I called all these places individually and, and they were all happy with it. It was during holiday and they're like, good luck finding a place. But, you know, so I did. So I traveled around, followed the wild goose, so to speak, mm. of the Holy Spirit, just wherever it led me to beautiful things and places and people. And I ended up in the Northumbria community there and, and they immersed me into five stations of prayer every day and um, teaching about the saints. And, and one of the great uh, Celtic teachers over there, Roy Searle, um, sent me an email and he said, I hear you don't have any plans for the next two days. Why don't you come to York? You can attend my seminar, York University for free. And after I'll take you out to dinner. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, you know, got to do all that kind of stuff. And he said to me, you're an intuitive person. 
it's time for you just to learn to trust that. Mm. You've got all the book learning that a person needs and more. So now it's time to shift and trust that. And so where I went around there and talked with people in the pub or in the restaurant, you know me, Matt, I'll just strike up a conversation with somebody at the laundromat, you know, and, and people over there are just so different. Not, not that they're all holy and mystical and everything, but the pace of life is a little bit slower, especially out in the country, of course, and people are connected to nature. Whether they're Christian people, pagan people, Celtic people or not, they're just connected. They re member themselves, mm -hmm. right, as part of that. And I thought back to my childhood about how that was so real for me and how sad it was for me for years just to abandon that for a bunch of head, head knowledge, you know, learning about how to interpret the Bible correctly and all this. I was like, oh, my mm -hmm. God. It was like meeting someone again for the first time mm -hmm. and falling in love. I don't know how else to put it, but it's, it's such a relational spirituality, mm -hmm. and it just envelops everything. There is this saying Richard used to say at the Living School that as soon as you have this experience, you'll know that you'll never be alone again. Mm -hmm. Well, talk about touching my woundedness. That was like, bam, that was it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Diane? What is your connection? Because uh, I know you really yeah. deeply love yeah. the Celtic yeah. tradition as well. Yeah. You know, Scott, as you said, the, it, it's so beautifully relational. And the Celtic concept of, of the Trinity, that's the three, is so immersed in their relationship to the elements, the elements of earth, the elements of sky, water, fire. That relational piece, not only with the one who's made that, but with each of those elements, recognizing the power within each of those elements, the power for destruction as well as the power for good that are all part of life the ebb and flow of life. And, and so that relationship has always drawn me. And the Celtic people, the Celtic heritage, all of the life stream of that Celtic spirituality is so interconnected with that. And, and that sense of interwovenness of Father, Son, and Spirit as well. So that's always made that connection. In fact, in my, my vivid imagination, Matt, I have this picture, and I'm Italian, I'm not Irish. I'm all Italian, but there's a whole big piece of Italianness that's connected to the earth as well. But I have this wild goose picture of myself of dancing barefoot around the fire in Ireland as one of those ancients doing those very wonderful things of connecting with the earth, with their feet, dancing around the fire and recognizing the immenseness of the universe above them and doing that with great joy and delight. So that's a big piece of my connection is just that imaginative piece but but being so tied into the elements of earth and sky and water and fire and and how the, the power and beauty in each of those elements and how we're intimately connected to them yeah and it'll be interesting to see how things move forward in these next number of years because i think all of us would agree that we only can connect in a deep way spiritually to God if we include everything, if we include nature, if we include our surroundings and any sort of spirituality 
without that, any sort of faith without the context of creation is going to be lacking. It doesn't mean it can't be meaningful, but it's going to be lacking. And you see biblically how often nature and creation is discussed and Jesus uses it so often. And so our understanding, our connection to the divine will be so much richer if we Hmm. connect to nature as well. But as you mentioned earlier, Scott, there's a reality to our world becoming so industrial, so uh, techie, so computerized, and we're not going to get away from that. And so the interesting space will be how we meld the two moving forward, because sometimes I think people view those as two separate things, but I think the future will show us how those come together. So what is your hope, both of you individually, what is your hope for maybe the the generations to come uh, that are, you know, desiring to connect with God, needing to do that through nature, and also having the reality of technology and our modern world in front of them as well? I think in your lifetime, Matt, you're going to see such a revolution and an evolving because the quantum computer stuff is going to hit probably before Diane and I are gone, and it's going to change how we do things and how we, how we look at the world. And one of the things, the advancements that will come quickly will be some kind of biotechnological advancements in human medicine. So if you lose an arm, it's not just going to be metal anymore. It's going to have something to do with integrating everything. I think about farming with technology and the new bio discoveries about soil renewal. And I th- I'm just totally excited about this, you know. And if we can ever rid ourselves of petroleum addiction and just really tap into what's really good, the good parts of solar energy, the sky's the limit, right? I see what you did there. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm really hoping that we will lose our dualistic way of thinking about one or the other, and we will begin to see that technology is not our enemy, but our mm. ally. Mm. And marrying the two can be very much like bringing together flesh and spirit. Not mm. quite incarnation, but something, mm. something unifying and where one works with the other one. Mm. Yes, because all things can be used for good or bad, including ourselves as individuals. Right. Right. Technology is the same. You know, that dualistic viewpoint has gotten us into so much trouble historically that we need to, you know, depart from it in this space as as well. How about you, Diane? What's your hope moving forward? Well, you know, just taking off of what you said, Scott, you know, that dualistic, it's it's either good or bad, but but you look back through history and and all of the wisdom that has been generated through what God has given man to use his mind and to explore and the new things that have been created made by man, but because man has been given that capacity to do so, that all of those can, rather than dualistic of either it's evil or it's good, is that if the source of what has been created has come through God, then using that for good can walk hand in hand with how we are continuing to evolve in the right sense of the word, evolve and becoming, we aren't what we were yesterday, nor are we going to be what we are tomorrow, but we continue movement towards what we can become using what God has given us to do that, rather than labeling all of these things as not being um, what God has intended for us to use for, as you said, Matt, for good. 
and how beautiful that can be if we view it through the lens that is seeing, but is really beholding, seeing in a whole different way. Special thanks to Diane Bryant and Scott Jenkins for joining the show today. That was way too much fun for words. I'd mentioned Scott's podcast, the Celtic Way podcast that I co-host with him. And what I mean by that is he does most of the talking and I ask a few questions. You can find that anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Also check out the website, which is simply CelticWay.org. Hey, I've got something I really need you to do. If you're listening to this show and you have not given us a five-star rating yet, do it right now. Stop what you're doing. Just hit that fifth star so they all light up and you're good to go. If you want to go a step farther, make sure you subscribe to us or follow us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really want to go crazy, go ahead and write a review. Until next time, keep walking.